I had to learn to be willing to just leave um, and to go through the difficult process of finding a church that has a more holistic understanding of community that I am included within. Hi, I'm Gerilyn, and welcome to Old Maid, a podcast about living a faithful single life in a very married church. Naturally, I'm coming to you from my socially isolated home studio. I hope all of you are doing all right, staying home as much as possible, and finding ways to thrive in this new way of life. Not gonna lie, as a journalist, it's been a busy and kind of rough week. I just wanted to remind you that God sees the tears you cry in isolation, or as you navigate life at home with your family. He has eyes on the sparrow, and I know he watches us too. This is the last episode of season one of Old Maid, and I'm excited about it. (laughs) The episode that is not being the end. Bridget is a sociologist, writer, and PhD student living in New York. She's written extensively on theology, relationships, and sexuality within a Christian context, and is currently writing a book on LGBTQ discrimination in the church. In this interview, she explains how she was called not to marry, but also not to be alone. She gives us a challenging perspective on how the church views family and commitment, and and she gives, I think, an intriguing alternative to the dichotomy between marriage and singleness. Yeah, so for the past seven years or so, I have been an educator. I got my start as an educator, primarily studying the school-to-prison pipeline and uh, working for Teach for America. And so uh, I uh, got my master's degree studying the school-to-prison pipeline within that context. And after working as a teacher for about five or six years, I made a transition to working for a prison diversion program. Um, I did that for a little bit and am currently completing my PhD in sociology and writing a book on LGBTQ discrimination in the church. So that's my uh, general work background, kind of like a big overview. And then in terms of stuff that I like to do for fun, I'm kind of like a simple person. It doesn't take much for me to like have a good time. So I just love having a good conversation with uh, a friend or two. And uh, I like going for long walks. That's like one of my favorite pastimes is going for a long walk Mm. uh, to some sort of destination. Um, It's one of my favorite things to do, even if it's just like the gas station that's two miles away. Um, (laughs) I'll be like, hey, that sounds like a good time. And especially if I have someone along for the walk with me and we can chat as we're walking, then that's my idea of a good time. Long walks and good conversation. And and you're in New York at the moment. Do you have like do you have good places that you can walk there? What does what does it look like when you're going for a walk? Well, you kind of walk everywhere when you live in New York. So a lot a lot of the walking that I do is just to and from bus stops and train stations and things like that. But when I'm going for a walk just for fun, um, my current favorite walk is going from where I live to a Target that is about like a 20 minute walk away. I'll go with a friend and we'll like, we'll take the walk together to Target and we'll buy a few things at Target and then we'll walk back. And that like, that's literally my idea of a good time because we're getting exercise, we're talking, 
we're buying something and then we're walking back. I'm, yeah, I, I guess like I'm a little bit of a, you know, strange person and the things that like aren't like my idea of like, yeah, this is great. But that's, that's the kind of stuff that I enjoy. It sounds pretty relaxing to me. Yeah. I mean, there's something about like actually doing something side by side with a person as opposed to just sitting knee to knee looking at each other that makes the conversation flow easier sometimes. Yeah. It's yeah. very true. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you grew up? And, and while you're talking about that, then what were your expectations of what adult life would look like or, or what your expectations of marriage were when you were a kid? So I grew up in, for the most part, a Reformed Baptist church. Um, I grew up in the homeschool evangelical culture. Um, and so it was a fairly conservative Christian context. I really had a really wonderful childhood. I really have wonderful memories growing up. My family was like a large homeschooling family of eight kids and we were all best friends and we all got along really well. And so I have very happy memories from my childhood and I'm very grateful for the evangelical context that I grew up in. In terms of expectations for adult life, uh, I very much had the kind of stereotypical expectation that the way life works is you grow up, you get married and you have kids. And especially as a woman, the, you know, end destination of being a wife and mother just kind of seemed to me to be the baseline assumption of where my life would ultimately end up. One day I will be a wife and mom. And that's just, that's just how it goes. That's just what winds up happening in a woman's life. One day it's just, it's going to happen. It kind of just seemed like it was just, you know, a, de a determined thing. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't really have a conception of other possibilities for how to live. And I didn't have any frame of reference for, yeah, for just other possibilities. Um, but it was a struggle for me to think about that kind of end destination for my life because I, even though I was told that this is something to expect out of my life, this is something that, you know, just this is where you're, you're going to end up. I didn't, I couldn't actually imagine that life for myself. I couldn't imagine myself getting married and having children and living this stereotypical wife and mother life. And to the point where, you know, I tried to like imagine it happening and I just, I, I couldn't see it for myself. Mm -hmm. And, but I, I worked very hard to get myself to want this vision because one, I couldn't imagine any other life. And two, I didn't want to be lonely, but it just, it never sat well with me. I could, I just, I couldn't see that in my future um, to the point where like, I even, like, I couldn't even see myself having children. Like as a, as like a young teenage girl, I, I used to, I had this thought that like I was going to grow up and I just like, I was like, I, I'm not going to have kids. And I didn't like have any proof of that. It's just like, I just felt deep down in my heart that that was not going to be my life. I wasn't going to have my own biological children, even though everyone was telling me that's what you're going to do. That's what women do. And so it was like very much just this, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, conflict in my inner life between being told what I should want and what I should expect, but feeling very deep down like that was not going to be my life and that was mm -hmm. not going to be what 
the path that I ultimately took. Um, but also not knowing how to think about that in a positive way, because um, the only vision for life that I had was being a married woman with children. And so it was very hard to kind of wrestle with that. Yeah, yeah. And so today, today you're not married. Uh, you don't have kids. What is the journey that has brought you up to that point? It's definitely been a journey for sure. And it's taken me to a point where when I, I guess I'll, I'll back up to when I graduated from college and I became a teacher and I had been in a relationship with a guy at the time. And after moving and becoming a teacher, I just, I realized that that was just not the right thing. I just felt it really you know, deep down in my soul that this was not the right thing. And, um, and so after ending that relationship, I really started facing this future for my life of being single. And I really struggled with thinking of my future as a future of singleness. And I remember very vividly driving to church one morning, I was going to a church in a, a part of town that was probably about like 20 minutes away from where I lived. And so it was like this, you know, not like a super long drive, but long enough drive to where like you can start like thinking about, you know, life and start pontificating about things. And mm-hmm. I'm on my way to church and like this church that I was going to at the time was um, made up almost entirely of families. And the Singles ministry was made up almost entirely of people that were um, looking to get together. And I didn't want to get together with anyone. And I was not living in the context of a family. I was just me. I was just by myself. And I was going to this church by myself. I was just single, alone. And I remember sitting in my car, um, driving, and thinking to myself, this is my life. I am going to be single for the rest of my life. Okay, that's my life. This is it. That's going to be my future. Okay, okay. Yeah, I can do this. I can totally do this. It's not that bad. And I just became aware of like, this stream of tears that just started falling from my Mm -hmm. from my eyes. And like, I realized that I was crying. I stopped and I was like, if I can do this, if this is not that bad, why am I crying right now? (laughs) Because uh, I am telling myself, you can do this. This isn't going to be that bad. You know, you can be single and, you know, live your life by yourself for the rest of your life. So why does that feel so in my soul and in my body? Why does that feel so painful? And the fact that like tears are streaming down my face made me kind of come face to face with the emotional reality of something that I had been denying for so long, just telling myself I can do this, I can live by myself, I can be alone, it's not that bad. But like, it was like my own body betrayed me in that moment. And I had to like, ask myself, why am I crying? If this is not so bad, why am I crying? It was in that moment that I realized that, no, I couldn't do it. I can't live life alone. 
and that life is not meant to be lived alone, that that is not actually the way God made people. He didn't make people to live by themselves and to make do by themselves. That's just, that's not a part of human nature. And uh, that for me was a very important part of me realizing that God was calling me to a future that was not married, quote unquote, but neither was he calling me to a life that was, quote unquote, single or alone. He was calling me to an alternative life and a way of living that was just as full of family and just as full of community as a life that pursued marriage, because marriage is not the only way to have love and family and community in your life. Mm -hmm. And it was in that moment that I realized that God was calling me to find another way of living that had family, that had community, but that was not marriage. Um, And that was a, a very important realization to me. You know, it was in that moment that I was like, okay, I'm going to I'm going to trust you to show me what that life is going to look like and to, to open up this path for me, because our wider society and our wider culture, the church does not provide an alternative to marriage for having community and family. It's you're either married and you have biological family or you're alone. That's kind of like the two options that we're often given. I realized that if I was going to find another way to live, that I would really need to dig into my relationship with Jesus and follow him and allow him to show me what that other way of living could be, because I knew I wasn't going to find it around me because there is such a a narrowed down vision for how life can be lived in our culture. And so eventually through that process, God brought someone else into my life who felt similarly called to um, not be married um, and to not, you know, pursue uh, sexual relationships. And we uh, together were like, whoa, you know, God has called you similarly away from marriage and God's called me similarly away from marriage. And we began to realize that our life paths had um, crossed Um, not as a coincidence. And that eventually um, led us to um, start living life together. And together, the two of us developed um, an alternative way of doing family with each other that is not marriage, um, but that is just as meaningful. Um, And we have found that we can be family to each other. And that has been a very meaningful thing for me that I'm not married, but I'm also not single because I am doing life with somebody else. And uh, we are pursuing relationship with Jesus Christ in a way that is alternative and uh, provides an opportunity to um, be family for each other in a way that's vastly different from how most people experience it. But that is just as beautiful um, and just as good um, and full of just as much love and community. So, so just to put a little bit of a finer point on that, because I sense that this is far more than you have a roommate. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can can you tell me a little bit about what that looks like? How your how your family sort of works itself out? Yeah. So this is definitely not just like oh, I have a roommate and we happen to live 
in the same house. Um, this is a relationship where me and my friend have committed to doing life with each other. And there's elements of lifelong commitment involved in our relationship. Um, and so it's not just, you know, oh, we happen to live together and we happen to be doing life together for this season. It's, it's much more, no, we're committed to sticking by each other and to supporting each other in life and in each other's walks with the Lord um, to the point where both of us at different points, at different times um, of our relationship over the past going on seven years, to the point where we have been willing to move across country or across even the world to um, stay together um, so mm -hmm. that we can provide that support um, and commitment for each other. Um, we're also willing to like live apart. God calls us to live apart. But if that calling is not evident, then we are committed to living in proximity to each other, living together um, and providing each other lifelong support. And so, you know, at one point I moved literally across the world in order to support her um, as she was navigating some things in her life. And then at another point, you know, just recently, um, she was willing to, you know, move across the country from Oklahoma all the way up to New York. That's like a huge, you know, change of living arrangements um, as I've you know, begun my PhD studies. Um, but yeah. there's, there's a level of support for each other. We're going to be there for the, each other. We're, we're committing to being there for each other and doing life together. Um, and we're partnering together in order to provide each other with that support that most people think only marriage can provide. And I think that that is, you know, something that is a, a loss in our culture that we have allowed marriage to kind of absorb every possible way of finding love and support has become almost subsumed under the category of marriage. But it doesn't need to be that way. Uh, mm -hmm. Marriage doesn't need to be the only way that you can find um, lifelong commitment um, and lifelong support and, and partnership. And when we relegate those things to being only something you can find in marriage, then we're, you know, significantly limiting people's ability to have family and community in this world um, because so many people are not called to marriage um, or, you know, just don't ever get married for one reason or another. And there has to be ways for those people to um, experience love and family and commitment um, and relationship that's meaningful. And if we're saying that those things can only be found in marriage, then we really are saying that you're either married or you're alone for the rest of your life. And that that's a formula that just can't work, just doesn't work, especially in our current day and age where so many people are finding themselves single. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, when I hear you describe that, then I go, yeah, I would be perfectly fine with that. Like, I would love to get married, but if I could have a committed relationship of that kind, that would be fine, too. I just don't want to be alone. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I think I've had that example a little bit. Um, I had a pair of, of aunts um, who stayed single. Well, the one is still alive. She's single and she's 79. And the other one was single until she died and they lived together in kind of a, a relationship like that. And and for quite some time, I thought that was what my sister and I were going to do as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then my sister up and got married on me. But <laughs> <laughs> but we did live together for, for about nine years uh, and, wow. and we're very much a family unit. And that mm -hmm. was fine. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's like, that's another, you know, perfect example of an alternative way of, of living and doing family is yeah. Living with a, a sibling or another family member. Um, and that like, that too is another way of doing it that, you know, is, is really, really meaningful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess not every family has the luxury of having multiple siblings to choose from, which yeah. mine does. <laughs> mm-hmm. So what have the opportunities of this kind of, ah, I'm sorry, I'm struggling to call it what to know what to call it. This opportunities of this kind of relationship been. Um, I think a, a big thing that I guess this has done for me is it's um, just allowed me to think of family differently and to challenge the church to let go of what I believe is an idolatry of marriage. Um, that results from kind of wrapping everything up and subsuming it under marriage, you know, all the ways that we experience meaningful relationships, subsuming those all under, you know, marriage and the nuclear family unit. And, you know, for me, pursuing an alternative way of doing those things has allowed me to, you know, really challenge others to let go of marriage idolatry and let go of seeing marriage as the, you know, ultimate way to experience meaningful relationship. Um, And to realize that there are other ways to experience love and community and family. Um, And so, you know, for me, it's, it's opened up my mind to um, experience family differently. And um, it's also allowed me to challenge others. And then I think it's also allowed me to open up possibilities for other people that are thinking through these things to, you know, be living out such a different way of doing life is, uh, I think, a way for me to kind of like open the door for other people to have a vision for something differently. Because a lot of times all it takes is just seeing one person doing something in a different way. And all of a sudden you realize like, whoa, like I don't have to just live just this one way of living or be lonely for the rest of my life. There's other ways to do it. Um, And so for me, I think you know, um, you know, pursuing um, an alternative way of doing relationship and doing family and community has allowed me to open up the possibilities for others um, and to kind of, you know, model a different way of living that is just as beautiful to other people. I, I hope that as more people, you know, start exploring these things, and I, I think that we really will start seeing people starting to explore alternative ways of doing family and community um, because singleness is so high in our culture these days. And so I think we're going to start seeing more and more people, you know, exploring other ways of doing family um, outside of marriage. And so um, as that happens, I think, you know, it, it makes me excited to, you know, see how this conversation can, you know, continue to grow over time. Um, as people start thinking through what this could mean for them and what kind of possibilities might be open to them and how they live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Um, how there been downsides or challenges to not having sort of a traditional marriage partnering or relationship? Yes. Um, a, a big, a big one is uh, typical everyday people don't often have categories for alternative ways of doing life. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I think this is just a part of of human nature. When we see 
something that's different, it's often an automatic for us to assume. And so because of that, I do often run into judgmentalism in uh, the way that I'm living my life. Um, a lot of people, they see like, oh, like, whoa, like, what? Is, how is she living her life? And she's, you know, she's not married, but, you know, she's, um, you know, she's living in partnership with this other person, like what's going on. And it leads because it's so different and they've never seen anything like this before. It leads to a lot of judgmentalism um, because it's just, it's human nature to see, you know, something that's different and automatically assume that it's wrong. Um, and it takes kind of a, a step, you know, it takes us, you know, kind of being a little more self-reflective to get past that automatic assumption and I say that, you know, for myself, like I can be just as guilty of that as anyone else. Um, and so I've, you know, experienced, at, you know, various different moments in my life, you know, people, you know, gossiping and saying things behind my back, making assumptions about the way that I'm living. You know, there's, you know, people that will just automatically assume that you're living a sinful lifestyle, um, even though you're not. And you've been very clear about you know, the way that you're living, you know, other people, uh, a lot of times in, in, I find in conservative Christian communities, there can be an association of Christian maturity for women attached to being a wife and mother. Yeah. And if it, it kind of almost feels like a hierarchy, like once you get married, that's one step up. But once you get married and have children, now that's like a really another step up. And the results of that is like when you associate Christian maturity for women with being a wife and a mom, well, then if you're not a wife and mom, then that automatically relegates you to this place of Christian immaturity. And it's, it can be very, very difficult to um, be seen as someone who is mature in their faith and has things to say and deserves you know, respect when oftentimes so much of our assumptions about whether someone deserves respect is tied to motherhood and, and marriage for women. Um, and we associate single women as being young and, and you know, naive and all of these things. And that can be a challenge to overcome. And then like there's just the, the practical side of things. You know, we have ways to support people who get married. Um, we have, you know, established cultural conventions that are designed to, you know, get them off on the right foot in life. You know, we have wedding showers and bachelorette parties and someone gets married and they get tons of money and tons of stuff to get them started off in li on life and get started on the right foot. We don't have that to support people in other modes of life that aren't choosing marriage but are choosing something else. And as a result, that, you know, can be a big challenge because, you know, I, I look at friends or family members that have, you know, gotten married and they, you know, receive so much stuff to get them started off. And, you know, whereas for me, I moved to New York um, and together with the person that I'm living in partnership with, and we moved together to really, you know, establish ourselves and get our, you know, lives started um, together. And there was no like, quote unquote, wedding shower for us. And, uh, you know, there was no way to like create a registry for ourselves. Um, you know, there was no big reception where, you know, we get, you know, checks from people to get us started off and things like that. 
Um, and you know, that is like on a practical level that does kind of make things more difficult because you've got to kind of scrape everything together on your own to make it work. Um, and we've often talked about like trying to like throw something like an alternative shower. Um, so that like, we can like have something similar, like a way for like family and friends to kind of support us in getting our life started. But you know, it's, it's definitely challenging because there is no established way for that to be done and understood in our culture. And so it's kind of difficult to kind of figure out you know, how to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm actually moving into um, my first condo. Uh, I've been renting up until now. So at the end of the month, and that was one of the things I thought about too, but it felt like inappropriate to ask for, like, Mm -hmm. Can you you throw me a moving shower? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like we do this naturally for people that get married and like, I mean, people get married, you know, sometimes two, three times and, you know, in their lives or, or, or more. Um, And so like we have these like set ways to support people when they get married or when they have a baby. Um, But what about supporting people when they have major changes in life? and they're still single (laughs) or they're not married. And I I do think that it's important to find ways to support people that are not married, not having kids, but still need the support of their community in order to, you know, get launched into whatever new um, stage of life they're going into. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So for some people going unmarried has, has a fair bit of emotional pain with it. Has that been your experience? And if so, how have you dealt with it? So I shared, you know, a little bit of that story of, you know, kind of crying in my car and realizing Mm -hmm. that I needed to find another way to do unmarried life because I couldn't do life alone. Um, And that is just not something that I think is the way God made us. But even now, you know, living life in partnership with someone else. Loneliness is still a problem um, because our society is a lonely society. And I think that's part of, you know, some of the, the trouble with putting all of your relational eggs in the marriage basket because no relationship can satisfy all of our relational needs people get married and they're still lonely. I think that goes to show that married people, single people, people living in partnership, not in partnership, loneliness is something that affects us all because of the ways that our broader culture has lost the ability to do community well and to do kinship and family well. Um, And so, you know, I, I would say that you know, I, I do still face loneliness. And I, uh, for me, facing that loneliness has been a journey of coming to realize that I am lonely, not because I am not married, but because we have lost in our culture um, ways to do community well. And uh, it is hard to find community and to make friends in our culture. And uh, that is a problem that faces us all, married or unmarried, and uh, that we all need to be tackling um, because it's it's hard for everyone to 
find community in in our culture these days. And so that's definitely been, you know, an aspect of my journey. And so for me, you know, navigating that has, you know, been a process of kind of building relationships, you know, where I find them and, you know, digging, digging into relationships, you know, bit by bit and piece by piece. And, you know, being willing to engage in, you know, long distance relationships with people where we don't see each other all the time, but we can visit each other um, on occasion and we can maintain, you know, contact over phone or the internet. Um, And that's been a a big thing for me, along with um, finding ways just to create community in um, my own home and in my own personal life with the person that I'm doing life with, finding ways to do community um, together and to build networks together. And so, you know, it's been a process and a journey. And, you know, I can't say that I've, you know, figured it all out, but, you know, it's definitely something that you just kind of take step by step and piece by piece as you're, as you're figuring it out. If, if you don't mind me asking, do you have a good relationship with your own family? Yes, I have a very um, wonderful relationship with all of my family members. Um, and we get along very well. And so um, that's something that I do um, deeply value and mm-hmm. feel blessed by. And, and I recognize that that is a privilege because not everybody has that. And that is not something that's true for everybody. So you've talked a little bit about sort of being the odd person out in your church, you know, being the the single woman among married people and families. Have you come to a place now where you feel like you belong in a church community and and if so, then how did you get to that place? Yeah, so that's definitely been a challenge because so much of church culture is structured around families. I remember there was one time I went to a prayer meeting and the pastor prayed for, he was doing like the final prayer over the church and the congregation. And he prayed for husbands and he prayed for wives and he prayed for mothers and he prayed for fathers he p- prayed for children. He prayed for grandparents. Um, and he prayed for people that were dating and people that were single and still looking for someone and looking to get married and wanted to get married. And I just, that prayer just struck me as being so centered around marriage and the nuclear family and like defining people only in their context to that. And I remember thinking like, he didn't pray for me because <laughs> I'm not any of those people. <laughs> but he didn't have a way of thinking of people that was not attached to marriage in the nuclear family. And uh, that, you know, that was just a very interesting moment for me. And then there was another time I was in singles ministry and, you know, I raised they were talking about how to serve singles better. And I raised the observation that, you know, one way to care for singles better was to, you know, value friendship and value, you know, community as being um, just as important to the body of Christ as marriage. And you'd think that I had just said something heretical because, (laughs) (laughs) because like nobody could, like nobody had a category in their mind to think that relation, that, that relationships outside of marriage could be just as important as your relationship to your spouse. And 
literally, it just, it was like their brains exploded and um, they rejected the idea just off the bat. I, you know, in that moment, just realized how entrenched so many of these assumptions are that we have um, that assume that marriage is the ultimate relationship and that, you know, that, you know, one's, one's spouse is like this ultimate person that you have to prioritize above all other people. And, you know, how that just so automatically leaves so many people excluded from experiencing love and relationship. And so those things all, you know, come together for me to, um, you know, create a feeling of distance for me often in church communities where I don't completely feel like I belong. And I do kind of feel like I'm on the outskirts. And uh, for me, I've had to learn to be willing to leave a church that is not doing community well, because I, I am the type of person that convinces myself to stay like, no, I've got to stay like, I'm never going to find the perfect church. You know, I just, you know, I got to stay and be part of the solution. And that is true sometimes, but then other times it's also true to recognize when your presence is actually not being received and the church that you are in does not offer you community and is not interested in offering you community because you are not included within their conception of the human experience. Mm-hmm. And um, so for me, I've, I had to learn to be willing to just leave um, and to go through the difficult process of finding a church that has a more holistic understanding of community that I am included within. Um, and that for me is scary because I don't like hopping from church to church to try to figure out where I can fit. I like to just find a church and just stick with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I had to be willing to kind of go through that difficult process and to really think, okay, what am I looking for? And, you know, when I visit this church, is this a church that, you know, I can really find that in? And if not, then, you know, I have to ask myself, do I, you know, want to put down roots here? Um, Because, you know, I'm going to be the odd man out. Um, And sometimes, you know, that might be what God is calling you to do, but not necessarily. And uh, it's not a bad thing to prioritize your relational needs as you are searching for a church community where you can belong, Um, because we are relational beings and we need to have um, community in our lives. And that's not wrong to prioritize. Um, And so if you're not getting that from your church, it's not wrong to ask yourself if God is calling you to someplace else. Mm-hmm. Um, and he might not be. He might be calling you to stay, but he might also be calling you to leave. And so um, don't n- don't stay out of a sense of obligation because, uh, you know, if God is, is calling you away, that's OK. He might have, you know, a church that he's calling you to where you can, you know, be a, not only find community, but also find ways that you can contribute and that is also equally important to find. So the last question I'd given you is how would you advise or encourage uh, single or unmarried women? My advice would be to find people to do life with, people who will commit to you and you to them for the long haul, regardless of whether you get married or don't get married, because ultimately, If you're single and let's say you do eventually get married, marriage is not going to solve your loneliness. 
Um, and if you don't learn how to do life with people now, you're not necessarily going to know how to do that when you get married. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would encourage people that are single or unmarried to learn how to do life now. Just because you're not married does not mean that you can't do life with people. And so my challenge, my advice would be learn how to do life with people now. Find people that will commit to you and you to them for the long haul, for, for, for life, um, that would be willing to move across country for you, um, that are, are willing to be there for you through thick and thin that can support you. Um, and learn how to do that now because then you won't need to get married. And if marriage does come along, then, you know, that'll be a blessing, but not, you know, something that you're, you're desperate for to, to solve your problems because it can't solve your problems. Um, and so my advice would be find people to do life with now, learn how to do life um, in community now and, and search for people who will commit to you um, and you to them for the long haul, um, because that is important for anyone to learn, whether they're going to be um, single for the rest of their lives or God does have marriage um, in mind for them. Learning how to do community well is important for everyone. Yeah, for sure. So before we wrap up, uh, would you like to talk at all about the book that you're working on right now? Or is it a little too early to do that? Yeah, I'm writing a book on LGBTQ discrimination in the church. And um, the book is uh, going to be getting published sometime in 2021 um, through Brazos Press. And um, the book just kind of talks uh, about the experiences of gay, lesbian, bi, and other people within the LGBTQ community who have had experiences of discrimination in the church and uh, helping Christians kind of understand these experiences and where they come from and hopefully charting a better path forward for um, Christians to create a community where LGBTQ people are, are able to thrive um, and able to do life um, and find um, and find a place where they can belong. And so uh, that's that's kind of a brief a brief summary of the book. And you can find out more about it on my website, BridgetEileenRivera.com. That sounds yeah, that sounds super exciting. I will be watching for that to come out. Why was it important to you to write a book like that? The topic is very near and dear to my heart because. Uh, um, LGBTQ discrimination is such a problem that is not often recognized within the church. And for me, as a gay woman um, who is also living a very different life compared to most people, um, it's something that I have personal experience with. And so I, I want to write a book that can simultaneously bring people into the experience of being LGBTQ um, in the Christian world, um, and then also invite them to, to see better ways to do it. Old Maid is written and produced by Gerald Witchers. If you enjoyed listening, please leave a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That would be a great help. If you enjoyed this season of Old Maid, please let me know and give me some feedback on should I do a second season? What would you like to hear? I'm on Instagram and Facebook at Old Maid Pod. I'm also online at oldmaidpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. <laughs>